welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. This is the AMA Vintage Motorcycle Days <laughs> Special Edition. <laughs> hey, this is Liza, and in the garage with me is Knock. Hey, how you doing, everybody? We're here to recount a couple of our stories from the recent trip, and then to um, lead you into some great interviews that we had there. So, Knock. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. What was uh, some of your favorite experiences there? Well, the first one was, I guess, the, the kitschy, most kitschy, I guess, thing it was the wall of death, right? Yes. So, uh, all my life, I kind of wanted to see it, and I kind of wanted to do it, but uh, we'll get into that later. Uh, and I saw it. I saw the wall of death, and it was like three dudes in a giant barrel going round round circle, allowing physics to do its thing, and it was cool. It's like, all right. I saw it once. I'm good. That was your first time seeing a wall of death. That was the first time seeing wall of death. Like uh, I think I'm trying to remember that there were three people, and one of them had a motorcycle. The other one had a go kart, right? And the other one mm-hmm. had uh, the, the, the the hot chick. The hot chick, yeah, man, uh, reckless Rita. <laughs> <laughs> you remember her name? Oh, of course. And then uh, the other one who was riding a old ass Indian that involved a lot of kickstarting. Okay, but okay, describe these guys because I've seen Wall of Death before. These guys were kind of fascinating to me by yeah. how grizzled they were. Oh, dude, they looked, they were, you could, you could tell these guys were kind of, have been doing it for a long time. And they all had tattoos, and their ringleader, probably the maybe second or the first oldest guy there, uh, he kind of looked like Dick Van Dyke if he had a criminal record. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I immediately knew these guys are pretty fucking cool, and, and they probably live some hard, you know, they lived a hard life or some shit. Like so I, I do want to give them credit. It's the American Motor Drome Company. Yeah. What is a drome? I don't know. American Motor Drome? Yes. Dromo? Because um, there are different touring touring groups that yeah. do Wall of Death. Okay. First of all, um, the the oldest guy, he's apparently the oldest guy in the country doing so. I think he was, what, 67 or 63? Yeah, he's a blind guy, right, with the chest tattoos? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, oh, man, I loved it because once he got spinning around on that wall, he got that grizzled old oh, yeah. man kind of, like, expression exactly in his face where, like, about. one side of his mouth went back, like, no, like he was trying to bite a nail in his mouth and and yeah, it yeah. looks I just love that kind of grizzled he old man like, look. Yeah, he looked like a fucking biker. I was like that's what yes. a biker going around in circles, you know, vertically looks like. It's pretty bitchin'. And then the um other guy that I thought was a complete setup at first, <clears throat> the the other kind of old guy oh, who had right. m- major burn scars on his upper torso and like the back of his neck yeah and he was moving very slow he was kind of sloth like and yeah. he went up to the bike and he slowly was kicking it and it was a painful process of kick starting that bike and yeah. i thought is this like is this like a routine you know right at first i thought it was a routine like this you know you set up this old frail guy doing this crazy gnarly shit and know? after many attempts because you have to um pull the kickstarter out and hand it off to somebody and then the bike would die and it's like start yeah. the process all over and he's not rushing to start it he's slowly get the kickstarter yeah. put it in and then he finally gets it going and and he had no facial expression whatsoever yeah like th- this was a guy who i imagined will die 
riding a bike, either on a wall or on a road, <laughs> but that's his destiny. Yeah. And he's obviously met his destiny a few times. Yeah. I mean, the whole entire thing is kind of romantic in a sense. Like, it, it's almost carny-ish, you know, and that's part I, on, of the, It's completely you know? carny-ish. They're yeah. Oh, yeah. calling okay. you out. Right. It's, it's fucking great. It's great. I love that shit. But, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that was your first time. It's always kind of exciting. Yeah. To see the wall of death and to be standing up above looking down and you're feeling the whole wall like whole shake and shaking, undulate yeah. as as they go around yeah we're tossing our dollars in there normally uh they would uh you'd hold your money out and then they would snatch it but i guess this was a different format this time i guess yeah but this uh, one was pretty tall and i was pretty impressed too when they had the uh, the first old grizzled guy going around and then the uh lovely reckless rita rec- reckless rita on a go-kart and they were going at th- the same direction but he was passing her yeah yeah i think they were they were they cycling so he, up and down i don't remember yeah so he was going twice the speed and passing her and that yeah. was just like it was amazing to watch their uh follow their eyes their eye contact how they were constantly just through eye contact communicating to each other yeah well i mean it's uh it's kind of like the thing when you're riding, you look where you want to go, and like when you see these guys doing their thing, it's obvious they they knew what they were doing. You could see their head turn, like look towards the the exit of the barrel or something, and you could see the technique being applied. Kind of yeah. obviously, it's pretty cool. That was totally fun. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite other things was the so-called pit bike races. Oh, right. So apparently this is the first year that they've done this. And this was great. (laughs) In in a field. And uh, these are things that you can't do in California, which is go to a a racetrack concourse area and just pick a field and tear the fuck out of it with your dirt bikes. Yeah. They won't let us do that kind of shit here. Um, They did here. They just set up some hay bales. And it was like legit with like medical squads and turn workers and yeah. stuff it was a sanctioned event that looks like just a bunch of random people showed up and started racing each it other. was in a field between trees that was yeah. off to the side of the parking lot and they had everything from like legit like ttrs and and stuff like that Fucking scooters but then they had like PW50s and the dude I think we all were cheering loudest for the the guy on the CT110 yeah who yeah, had, had water bo- <laughs> water bottle in his milk crate that yeah. kept shaking and threatening to bounce out and never quite did yeah and oh my god and everyone just going balls out and racing on the dumbest little bikes yeah um if you haven't seen a, the PW50 this is a dirt bike for children that you cannot get hurt on. It basically looks like a Barbie scooter <laughs> with thing, a built over dirt bike. The thing looked like it was like built to like like he's done this shit before, <laughs> you know? Like this is my race PW50 or something. <laughs> it was so awesome just watching all the different classes and every fucking numbskull out there with whatever bike they that wanted to ride. It was great. Oh my god! And mini bikes, everything. Tra- there was trail seventies out there. Yeah, well, I've never seen so many damn trail bikes, you know. So it was just that's all it was: is trail bikes and old ass dirt bikes, and which kind of uh, leads me to my next favorite thing about this whole event is the fact that this thing happened on like a huge on on a large acre of land, and the locations of where all these events are kind of far away. So everybody was just on their little dirt bikes and mini bikes, and they're kind of going around to, to wherever need to go and but 
nobody was wearing helmets. Oh, God, it was no. it was almost chaotic, but it's very controlled. You know, it was just that's how they convey themselves. They're on their mini bikes. It was the small children at fast speeds on big bikes. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that's the, the <laughs> that, that was a cause was a of tip anxiety. Off. Yeah, that was the tip off of like there is nobody policing this joint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was largely self policed. You're right, which is pretty cool. It was awesome. Yeah. So, hey, let's um, introduce our first interview. All right. Um, I had the opportunity. Uh, you sat in with me with I, Danielle I Lynn. I did. Uh, so Danielle Lynn is somebody who I've actually been in communication with trying to get her on the podcast. But um, I really don't like doing call-in interviews. I like doing stuff in person. Yeah. Um, so we had the opportunity. She was there speaking at a seminar. Um, she's really cool. She set a Guinness World Record last year. She did uh, a bunch of miles on her Triumph. She didn't even like do like Cush BMW. Yeah, she took off and rode and rode and rode, and that is like a whole kind of mindset you get into of just solo on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she the she. The record was a guy in India, and now she has it, and he's threatening to get it back. <laughs> of course. Of course. But yeah, so Danielle was really cool, and she uh, sat down with me and gave me a really great interview. So let's hear that now. I'm uh, here with uh, Danielle Lynn, who, we'll just get to it. You set a record <laughs> this year, and it seems like it's kind of blowing up. So can you just quickly say what your record was and what bike you were on? Yes, I took a trip for a year on a 2006 Triumph Monoville. And during that year, for about 10 months of it, I broke in the lower 48 states the longest journey in a single country on motorcycle. How many miles did you do? For the record, 48,600 for the entire year, Um, 53,000. Something there's qualifying in yeah. here. I know, I know. It sucks that you're. They have to put Canada between us and Alaska. Yeah. But then they don't count it. Well. Well, and you know they could have technically deleted those miles and counted Alaska, but it's all right. And let's talk about some of the the marks along the way. You did mm-hmm. how many iron butt levels did you achieve? Um, so I did the 1,000 mile iron butt in the 24 hour, and mm-hmm. I, it actually was about 1,200 miles. Right. So I went ahead and woke up early and finished out the 1,500 in the 36 hour. And then I also did their um, Platinum Traveler Award, which is yes. about going to different national parks. Yeah, and then. Um, um, I think that's at Amy. I think, it, or um, no, that's it for Iron Butt. I think. Yeah. All right. So you think <laughs> you're some kind of badass? Is that what this is? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's why. Um, Just live fully. That's why I originally started seeking you out because we yeah. started doing we call them badass chick episodes. Yeah, I like, like it. Like you know, there's chicks who ride, yeah. but there are chicks who ride. Yeah, I actually have a pair of socks that that say badass on them. I had them under my pants, but I have a couple of male friends. One is out doing a big long distance trip, and he's like, you ride harder than any guy I've ever ridden with. And I don't really notice it, because for me, that's just how I ride. I just enjoy it, and I want to go do that. You know what I mean? So when people started pointing it out to me, I was like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. <laughs> I'll take it. Exactly. That's what I love. Uh, chicks who ride as good or better than what a man does, but it has nothing to do with gender. Right. You're just right. a rider. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And the only reason I even separated, like when I give talks about my ride, 
record, I started separating because of public perception. Like, I had a guy come to me, well, yeah, you broke the woman's record, right? No, I broke a male's record by almost 25,000 miles. It's a non-gender specific record, but it really doesn't matter women or female, but in some networks and industries it does. So I go ahead and I include that in my talks. Yeah. Nice. Okay. And the bike of your choice was? A 2006 Triumph Bonneville. What is wrong with you? <laughs> no, I know. So we just we just saw you speak and you're talking about the right bike is the bike that's right for you. Mm-hmm. So what was it that qualified that bike for you? Uh, it's interesting. It's kind of like what you're saying about like a badass chick. For me, a Triumph is like dating. I was attracted to that bike. It's a sexy bike to me, so I like it, and that's what I wanted to ride. Really? It really comes down to just that. I've always the loved those bikes. The aesthetics more than the fit or well, a little the bit budget? Of both. No, the fit, it did fit me. It, I wouldn't have taken it if I, because right. I get hip cramps, and so if I was getting hip cramps, some of the wider tanks I can't ride because I get hip cramps. I always tell people when choosing a bike, they're like shoes. You have to mm-hmm. get the right shoe yep. for what you're doing, exactly. and it has to fit you right. Yep, that's a good way to say it. Exactly. So now that you've done this, is there another bike you think maybe would have been better? Um, no, that Bonneville did amazing. I mean, I had no serious breakdowns at all. It was all routine maintenance. Yeah, and I did have a, a large windscreen on there. I was protected from right. the elements on the long ride. but Really an adventure touring bike, nothing like that? No, because most of my roads were paved. Most people ride adventure touring bikes incorrectly. They ride them on paved roads. They're for off-road. They're true adventure bikes. So, like, my next journey will be on a KTM because most of our roads are dirt. All right, I'll give you that point. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true because a lot of people aren't taking into account when you're Mm -hmm. riding. uh, You're dealing with fatigue. That's one of the most biggest dangers. Mm -hmm. And you have to ride a bike that you can pick up, especially solo. It's not a if you're going to go down. You will go down, whether it's... Like, my first, when I went down, I wanted this really great picture of Mount St. Helens, and I fell over. I was like, well, shit, that's embarrassing on top of everything else. But um, you have to be able to pick up your bike. If you can't, it's the wrong bike for you. Right. Good point. Um, I like that you bought it used. Mm -hmm. Like, you're like... You're just like, I'm doing this trip by whatever means. And you didn't do things that are perfect by other people's standards. Right. You made things work for you. Yeah, thanks. So I'm, it's, maybe it's like putting on some worn jeans. You're just more comfortable that way. Yeah. You know? And who's to say, like, if I had no budgetary restrictions, I can't say if I would have done it different because that's not the lifestyle I was living. So right. I did with what I could what I wanted. And, so, you're, and you're in love with Amelia, aren't you? I am. We should qualify. Amelia yeah. is your bike. Amelia is my bike, <laughs> and she's named after Amelia Earhart. Um, awesome. Yeah, really courageous woman who you know went out there. Everyone knows her story, but it was interesting. I, I did a post on gas station gentlemen. I'd meet these older guys at gas stations who thought that I was riding a vintage Triumph because they made them to look vintage, so right. they were all proud of me. You know, 1970s bike. Aren't you wrenching it all the time? And it's like, no, that's why I'm not riding a 70s. I didn't want to wrench it every day. But one of my favorites was this guy. He might have been 90, maybe 80. I'm really bad at guessing age. But he got out of his truck, and when I flipped up my visor, he was shocked I was a woman first thing, and then we started chatting. And I and we talked about the name of my bike, and, and he said, so you named your bike after a woman who went on this amazing journey and never came home. And I was like, okay, so I didn't think about that part, but yes. <laughs> I there hope were, I go home. <laughs> there were other journeys she did make. There were, home. yeah. Yeah. So, she um, did quite a lot. 
Wow, no other bikes. I thought for sure there would have been some another bike. You're like, oh, I've always been curious about. Oh That's no, I'll cool. ride other bikes. There, so it was the correct one for that ride. And let's also say that you didn't just take the MSF class and throw a leg over a ride. No. You did. You've done past trips and you have a history mm-hmm. of riding. What were some of your past? marks or, or trips you did your proud of. Right. So when I first decided I was going to start doing solo motorcycle trips, I did it with a rental in a foreign country, which was my first time ever right. renting, first of all, like that in a foreign country. So I went to Costa Rica, mm-hmm. rented a dirt bike. The 250s? Um, I was going to rent a 450 there, but oh. then a tour company came in and they got all those bikes. So they had a 250 left for me. Good. Yeah. And I was like, well, I still need a bike. I'm here. And he said, well, you can have this one. And, and I realized, okay. I love maps. I love doing things by maps, but the maps there are very different, mm-hmm. and the signs there don't really help. And he said, you just have to aim to the city you want to go to. That's how you read the map. There's not road names and different things like that, so I just have to aim. So when I first left, I was a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, God. And he showed me where the water crossings were, where I would get stuck, where I couldn't go on the map. And I was like, okay. So it was my first big solo adventure in another country on a bike on my own, and I loved it. I had my first water crossing there. It was fantastic. I got stuck in the mud really deep. But because I had a 250, I just was able to pick up that bike and turn it around. Nice. Now, if I would have been down there on Amelia, I would have been stuck in the jungle where I got stuck with that little bike. So it also depends on where you're going for what bike you select, for sure. And where else have you been? Um, I, I rode a bike, not for very long, but I rode a bike in Cuba. And then in um, Argentina and Chile. And I've traveled to over 45 countries, but motorcycle riding in other countries, I think that that's it. So, Oh, and Cambodia. And the reason you chose to do this in the United States mm-hmm. is... You love the United States? Well, it's Riding? a mixture of, yeah, and, mm-hmm. and part of it, I grew up camping and traveling a lot throughout the U.S. when I was younger and going to national parks, and I really wanted to go to that as an adult and on a bike without windows, without walls, and it was a magical experience, and a lot of those places are so magnificent, so that was part of what drove me for that trip, and when I didn't know exactly where I might go the next day, I was always guided by where the national parks were. Those helped me pick my routes. That's great. A lot of people are always thinking outside the box and not right here. Yeah. Amazing roads here. And so. I think that part of that comes from just growing up and traveling so much. Um, I don't say that I've been to 45 countries to be like, oh, I've been, I usually don't even say my number because some people get offended by it. And it's mm. like, well, I don't know. I, I hoped one day to see all of them, but I may not. But for me, part of doing the U.S. trip was to show how much is here. Because I personally have an aunt who's terrified to travel out of the country. And it's like, okay, but look what we have here. You don't have to go to have these amazing adventures. You can stay here and see all this great stuff. I agree. So we we established you don't think there was a better bike for the trip. That was right Mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Any other bikes that you are interested in in the future? Do you have a dream bike or are you like... Um, Pretty much every bike I've never ridden I'd love to ride or do a trip on, yeah. All right. Yeah, no, it's, um, I love Triumphs. I love the Bonnevilles and the Scramblers, for sure. Is that the only bikes I'll ever ride? Absolutely not. I mean, I, I have this vision to go, there's this ride in Australia on Posty Bikes. It's a 30-day charity ride, mm-hmm. and I want to go there yes. and do this ride on these little... Posty Bike Ride. I yes. love them. Yeah. We were just talking about that. I love that kind of adventure, too. Mm-hmm. So, um, let's just get into, uh, you have a new adventure yes. coming up. Mm-hmm. Expedition Electric. All right, explain it. So Expedition Electric is a team ride. I was invited on to be the female rider for this trip. It is a production ride, so we'll have a film crew with us, Mm -hmm. and we're taking custom-built electric motorcycles from Prudhoe Bay, Alaska to Ushuaia, Argentina. So the northernmost point to the southernmost point that you can ride to. This is 
amazing. I, and I love how you said when they asked you, you were immediately. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh, don't you need to play? <laughs> no, this is, I'm in. Yeah. I love that spirit. But you also know when there's an opportunity to seize it. Mm-hmm. That's how you are, I'm assuming, that's how somebody's able to do the things they do as much as you do. Well, and I think, too, I opportunity. had met people who'd done that ride. Mm. Like, before I ever started thinking of my ride, I met two friends in Peru from Australia who were on Alaska to Ushuaia on BMW GSs. Right. And then I met them up again in Argentina at the end of their trip. And on my flight home is when I started planning my journey. At that time, I didn't know it would be all 50 states in Canada. I just knew I was going to take a big journey on a motorcycle. So you're doing, you're, three of you are riding, and it's on three bikes. Uh-huh. And do you know what your average miles per day goal is? I don't. I don't. I don't. It's not going to be like my last trip because um, we will probably be doing mini charges at our lunch stops, mm-hmm. but we also want to be seeing a lot as we go. Not that I didn't see a lot. People always say that to me. I'm like, well, I saw a lot, but my day started very early and ended later if I had a big ride day to see everything. So um, I don't think we'll go above 300 miles a day. That's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Um, have you? Do you have experience on electric bikes? Just the testing I've done on okay. this bike. Yeah. So when we get when we fly out there to meet up to get our bikes, yeah. it'll be the first time with the new batteries, which means a lot more power. The last time I was on it, it could only go 56 miles an hour, purposefully. Mm-hmm. They calibrated it to be a slower speed so we could get used to riding an electric right. bike because it is very different. And do you think maybe there's an electric bike for you in the future? I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it, you're not, depending you're not, on how this trip goes, definitely we'll have to see. I would love to see electric bikes be able to charge themselves with like a solar panel attached or through momentum and not have to hook into something. So they have electric bicycles that can do it, but you're kind of powering it. But I think we're close to being there. There, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those two things, not as feasible, but other things are. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, cool. So this is going to be nine months. Do you have anything else you're lining up, or are you just kind of taking it one at a time? Yeah. I'm what, always. What's there's a million things in my mind all the time? What's your dream trip? Something that's on your plate, on your list, you want to do one day? Anywhere I've never been. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. I think, but I'd like. Maybe this is a good way to answer it. If I was told I would die in three weeks, I would go to Bali. Perfect answer. Cool. Well, I appreciate it. I, I mean, it was glad to meet you, and I'm sure we're going to follow up and and when you're on your your adventure, your next adventure, get yeah. more from you on that. Yeah, and I I'd saw though you're coming down and you're going you're going east. You're going around yeah. us, like you're purposely avoiding that our part of route. California. It's not my route. Let me just say I'm not the lead on this trip. But that was his initial route when he first began planning the trip right. a year ago. So it's already changed because there's different places we're meeting up. So let us know. Because it could be that we come this way. I will. Yeah. Well, cool. Thank you very much for this interview. I appreciate it. I'm glad I finally got to meet you. Yeah, yeah. And I'd love to do, I mean, maybe through Skype or something, we could do some from the road. I'm not sure if it would be clear enough. Who knows where we'll be at? Well, we're very excited for it. Cool. Thanks. So uh, another cool thing that isn't on the recording, I talked to Danelle afterwards about joining me on the Chickistan trip next year. Mm. And she is all in. All right. Yes. After she does her, uh, finishes her big journey on that, 
Electric KTM. Oh. oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I did say, you know, we did call bullshit when you guys said you're using generators. Yeah. But um, welcome back to old tech. But she said for, they're going to a lot of places that there is no electricity okay. to charge. So, okay. All right. I'll let you slide. As long as there's anxiety, it, you know, it's not a road trip without a little bit of anxiety, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, so the next person up uh, at the seminar was Long Haul Paul, uh, Paul Pelland. Mm-hmm. And he was one of our first, like, call-in guests that we ever did um, back on the Mix Nuts and Loose Screws uh, episode. Yep. Um, so Long Haul Paul, um, yeah, he's a really cool guy. He rides everywhere because he's trying to do a million miles for MS. Yep. Um yeah, he's got some big stuff coming down the pike, too, that he'll be announcing. Uh, but it was cool just hanging out with him and then went and looked at his bike and saw all the stuff that he's uh, that he uses for his comfort and what he's figured out what works <laughs> and what doesn't. Um, but he's a cool guy. So let's hear from Paul now. Hey, I am here with... Uh Long haul, Paul, Paul Pellin, and uh, you know, Paul, you were one of our first. You were our first call-in interview on the show. My first big get, <laughs> a real name in motorcycling. Well, what you really mean is I live in New Hampshire, <laughs> California, and uh, I am a long-distance rider, and I could have made it there in about three days, but I don't think we had three days for the uh, for the interviews, so. but thank you. That was nice. <laughs> so I just wanted to do um, a little catch-up. So you were on our Mixed Nuts and Loose Screws. We talked about riding for mental health, and uh, on that podcast, we had some people who deal with depression or different things in their life and you deal with uh, do you call it a condition or an illness MS um, yeah I mean I I, I I try not to give it even that much weight I think yeah. for me it's a it's an inconvenience or um, you know it, I mean it can be and for some people it's certainly a lot worse uh, of an affliction than it is for me but um, you know it's something I wasn't counting on in my life. I wasn't planning on, um, you know, being diagnosed with a, a progressive illness that doesn't have a cure, but um, I don't give it. A, I don't give it that much credit um, because it's it's not going to control my life. And it doesn't define you. Biking does, right? Exactly. And so that's why we had you on to talk about riding because you know it could be MS, it could be depression, it could be homework at school, it could be a fight with your boyfriend it could be anything but everyone kind of deals with stuff and we all find that getting on our bikes is a kind of therapy so i have to admit so when we first interviewed interviewed you and you said how sometimes you do get these attacks but you know you soldier on and you're not letting it get you down i was half expecting to see this like feeble guy you're not so if you're the face of MS, I'm like, uh, I, I don't know if this is a really bad thing or if you are overcoming or I'm still learning about it like everyone else. But you look good, dude. You're fit. Um, thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing some baggy clothes here. Um, I, I, you know, it is funny. In the, in the MS community, we joke about people saying, 
you have MS, I don't believe you. It looks so good. Yeah. And, you know, it is. it has changed over the past 25 years. Um, today we have... Uh, 14 different medications available to people with MS if they get on right away as soon as they're diagnosed um, it can slow the progression down by 40, 50, 60 percent um, and that's what happened with me and a lot of people today is um, although there's no cure we're able to slow it down and you know I'm, I'm 48 years old and I've had MS now 11 years and as far as I can tell, uh, my health has not gotten worse. Right. Well, let's talk about your bigger illness. You're a bikeaholic. I am a bikeaholic. I, <laughs> I would say um, I do need to um, hit that bottle or throttle um, every yes. day. Yes, we have been drawing these parallels. <laughs> yes. Um, so, all right. So you set off to do this crazy thing to ride a million miles, which seems completely unachievable. There's a lot of zeros in a million. Alright, so I know that there's different ways to slice this, but let's just, where are you now in this journey to do a million miles? So, um, the idea was was actually four years ago this week, was when I came up with the idea. And it took me a little bit of time to figure out how to do it and everything else, but so far, in four years, I've ridden 175 5,000 miles, uh, all to MS, you know, events, uh, or, you know, promoting what I'm trying to do. Uh, and, what, and what are you riding on? Uh, I'm riding a Yamaha Super Tenere, and um, the bike's been, you know, really, really bulletproof for me. Um, uh, in fact, Yamaha has now started to um, help me out. Yay, finally. Which is awesome. Um, Christmas time, I got a second bike. Uh, courtesy of Yamaha. Oh. So when when this bike finally kicks the bucket, I've got a second one all set. Or for for days when I'm having service and things like that, I now have two complete bikes set up, um, which is which is awesome. That is so smart. Because what was your last bike? I started on a Moto Guzzi, which a great bike had a lot of character mm-hmm. and stuff, but was not something that I was willing to uh, use and depend on. You know, crisscrossing the country um, as I'm doing. Uh, I need something dependable and also that I can get parts for if I need to uh, in a hurry. Um, and the Yamaha's just been perfect. I mean, I've, I've never had in my life 30 bikes or so. I've never owned a bike more than two years, the same bike. And um, it usually only lasts me about a year. So I've, I've had this particular model now for three years. And like I said, I just got a second one. So... Um, it does everything I want it to do for me. Uh, it's the perfect perfect bike for this type of traveling. And the miles you have on this bike? Um, this bike here, um, I purchased three years ago. It has 143,000. You know, which is funny because, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago that was unthinkable. But now, you know, we know that bikes can, can do 200,000. So, yeah, it's looking pretty good out there. Well, and I only have two more years to pay it off. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. So, all right. So, I think last time I talked to you, you still were working and just doing, like, writing... Yeah, I was trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to, you know, still make the, make the payment on the house and the bills and, and, um... 
Uh, so, you know, I was working a full-time job and taking all my vacation time to do the traveling for the talks. Um, this past year, I think I did 50 talks last year all over the country. Right. And um, so it came to a point where, you know, I have no more vacation time. I have no more. I can't, you know, fudge the sick time. Mm -hmm. I use that one a little too much. Um, so I'm now working uh, part-time, uh, an average of 20 to 22 hours a week. Um, it allows me to go and travel, and um, sometimes I'm gone for a week or two, come back, I'll work a week or two, and that's kind of how it's been working out. Um, you know, my employer's been pretty lenient about that, which is great, but I think, it, you know, I'm very close to the point where um, I can almost pay my bills with uh, the traveling and the speaking opportunities. So. That's what's amazing, too. I mean, you're putting all these miles on. It's not like you're going up to or down, you know, up to the Arctic all the time or down to the tip of South America. What do you say, like, honey, I'm going to go get some bread and go to Florida and back? I mean... Well, it's... Um, I mean, some of it is pretty tough riding. I mean, there's there was three weeks in a row where I had to go out to the Midwest and back, and I only had you know a day and a half to get there, do a do a talk, get back to home, do you know do some hours at work, and then back out to Midwest. So I mean, there's there's a lot of it that I'm just doing 16, 17 hours on I-90, which is just brutal. Right. Um, I don't always get to enjoy the places I'm at. It, it's you know, I guess, you know, if life were easy, everybody would get one, right? But what's more com comfortable to you? Sitting in a on your couch in your living room watching TV or sitting on your bike going down the road? What's normal? I would rather be on my motorcycle on the 18th hour of the day, mm -hmm. running out of fuel with, with the oil light on, uh, frozen cold, starting to snow, with a bad cold, and my boots leaking, than be anywhere else in the world. You have moto legs. <laughs> you know how they say, like, when you go out to ocean, and you get, yeah. take a while to get used to the boat rocking, you step on the, the shore, and you feel like the ground is moving? You have moto legs. You feel normal. My wife will tell you, yeah. if I'm home for two or three days, and I'm not riding... I am a pain in the ass. My my legs hurt. My arms hurt. I have physical issues. I uh, I start to have aches and pains. Um, my MS symptoms start to bother me. I, I don't enjoy being at work because I know there's some place that I need to be. There's somebody I need to somebody who's just diagnosed with MS or something else that just needs a little bit of encouragement, and I can do that. And that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I think that those days that I can't ride are not great days. I mean, I... And, of course, you live somewhere where you can ride year-round, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we... <laughs> I don't know how many feet of snow we got last year, but... Um, You're what, New, New Hampshire? New Hampshire, yeah. Okay, not known for year-round riding. No, no. Uh, what do you do in the winter? Well, um, so far, I've been lucky enough that uh, there was a time that my neurologist had to come with his trailer to get me to a show I was doing because there was so much ice and snow on the road, it was just impossible to even get out my driveway. Um, 
and then there was another day that I was doing a talk in Buffalo. This was in February. And I watched the weather religiously, in the winter anyway. And there was no storms predicted. By the time I got to Buffalo my bike, uh, there was a huge storm coming in. And it was going to hit Buffalo that night. A couple inches of snow in the morning, which is enough to, you know, can't ride in a couple inches of snow. I don't mm. care what kind of bike you have. But the, the storm was going to actually follow me all the way to New Hampshire. So I ended up leaving in the morning. Um, they had scraped the roads down enough that I could get out. And... Um, it was, it was funny because there was 18 wheelers off the side of the road that had hijacked. <laughs> I don't know if it was the night before or earlier in the morning, but the road was okay, salted, and um, most of the snow was gone. But I was watching on my my um, my my phone, a weather app, that the storm was was coming right up alongside me, and so I had to keep going north as I was going <laughs> east, and I ended up um, about 60 miles from my home. I had to stop because the storm was coming on the highway, and it was, um, we were getting a foot of snow at my house. And um, 60 miles from my house, I had to stop and, and, you know, get a hotel, and I called my wife, and I said, this sounds stupid, but I'm 60 miles from home, and I can't come home. So, so you're, I'm, I'm sure you're used to people just shouting out, fucking idiot. <laughs> right. I have gotten some pretty darn good looks. Um, sometimes I get the thumbs up, but sometimes people just shake their head like, what the hell are you doing? Um, and you know what? That's okay. That's okay. I, I rode you around in Boston. So I'd go out in that unplowed snow and just put my feet out as, you know, ballast and just... You, you learn how to go around a corner without leaning. And you have to get the guys coming. You fucking idiot. Well, they're shoveling snow. It's like, thanks for your opinion. <laughs> Appreciate it. That's a very New England thing. I'll tell you how I feel. You're a fucking idiot. Oh, I've got people sending me pictures of, you know, how to put spikes and snow things yeah. on my tires. And I keep, I, I have a dealership I go to all the time just to drool on all the bikes. And I always look when they've got a trike or something with three wheels. I say, can I use that for the winter? You know, can I borrow that? Because, you know, there was a couple of times I did actually have to take my car um, twice this winter. I think in January. You poor thing. I, it's horrible. <laughs> I cannot ride six hours, eight hours, ten hours in a car. I, it drives me crazy. Although I did get to listen to XM radio, which was kind of neat. <laughs> I didn't know what that was like before. Um, and I did find that I can push off my, my uh, stops to go to the bathroom a little bit longer if I'm not wearing full winter riding gear. <laughs> yeah. I can go a few more miles between stops. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if... if if the weather's, if there's a huge storm coming in or something, I'll, you know, I, I, I did take the car a couple times this year. Or my, my wife's car, anyway. I don't have a car. My instinct is to call you a wuss, but I'll let it go. I'll let it go this time. So let's cover, since you're putting so many miles on, what's some of your favorite destinations or favorite roads? Um, well, I mean, I love going out west. Every time I go out west, I try to find something new or... Um, I was out in, uh, I think I did a talk in Minneapolis, and then Wisconsin, and then I had one about three days later in Tennessee or something. Mm -hmm. So it would take me the same amount of time to come home and go back than it did to just go further west. So I decided I'm going to just go further west. And um, I ended up, you know, going out and... and um, 
going out through the South Dakota, North Dakota, and Wyoming, and, and um, um, the flat states. Yeah, well, I, I went through. Um, I went to see, you know, Devil's Tower, and then oh, went yeah. to um, the Badlands, mm-hmm. and um, a couple other parks and things. I went through kind of quickly because I was I was still moving pretty fast, but it's so beautiful out there. I I, I love getting lost. I found some dirt road off the back of um, the Badlands, and I I almost um, got run into by a, a charging. Uh, Buffalo, which was kind of cool. Wow. All the pictures I took, like twenty pictures, they're all with my tank bag because I was shaking so much. <laughs> so I, I missed the. I've no. I think I got one hoof in a picture, but you can tell it was close to me. <laughs> so, what's the furthest away from home you've gone? Um, furthest away would be um, the Arctic Circle up in um, Alaska. Last June, I rode to. I did actually was asked to do a talk in Anchorage. Oh, cool. And so I rode to Anchorage, and then the Arctic Circle is only, you know... It's just right there. It's right there. I mean, you know, that close. You might as well. And I had to book it up there and book it out of there because I was doing uh, Las Vegas about six days later. So (laughs) it was um, was about 12,000 miles in uh, 12 days. So... So what for you is a comfortable amount of miles a day? Like, let's just if I, if I don't have to do a talk or mm-hmm. perform or any kind of or even converse with humans, um, I can do um, a thousand miles. Is a, is is a, is doable? I've done a couple eleven hundred, one twelve hundred mile day coming back last year. That was a little rough. So that's without pushing it. This is just yeah. your body's like. Eh. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, if I'm going to do a, a presentation, I'll try to do no more than 750, 800 miles. That gives me a couple of hours mm-hmm. in the hotel to rest or just, you know, reflect a little bit, clean up, get some of the stink off, and then uh, and then go and do a presentation. It, it takes a lot out of me sometimes to do these talks. So, Do you have any future trips you've planned or would like to plan? Well, um, I just celebrated my, or we just celebrated our 10th anniversary my wife and um, we actually have not been away the two of us for more than like a weekend since our honeymoon Mm -hmm. and we you know we sometimes go away with our granddaughter for three or four days but you know I'm so busy doing what I'm doing and so um, we're actually redoing our honeymoon which was a trip to uh, Nova Scotia how cool and the Cabot Trail so we're gonna we're actually gonna take the bike and we'll do a couple hundred miles at the most each day to make it nice and comfortable and um, we'll visit some neat places, and um, so I'm looking forward to that. That's in a couple of weeks. That's cool. Uh, it's not MS related, but you know, I'll hand out my brochures everywhere we go. You know, M- MS doesn't define you. You're a biker. That that's what, and you know, people who listen to this podcast, they're bikers too. One of one of my favorite things to end my my programs with is, to, to, is uh, when I'm speaking to MS patients, especially people newly diagnosed. I said, I guarantee. You look my name up in the di- you look MS up in the dictionary, mm-hmm. any dictionary, and I guarantee you're not going to see my face. So make sure your face doesn't make it there either. Of course, now if you go to Wikipedia, people with MS, my face is there, but <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> that Wikipedia, none of that is real anyway. But nice. um, but yeah, I mean, it is not who we am. Who I am, it's not who they are. Um, and if and if it is. Then your disease is going to get worse, and you're going to because that's what you're living. You're living every day thinking that's what you are, and that's who you are. And you know what? I don't care if it's MS. I don't care if it's um, 
you, you've got a, a physical disability. I don't care what it is, but that's not who you are. Right. You know, we're, we're all people inside. We're all, we all have something to, to give. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you have to find what it is. You have to find what makes you shine. And you need to polish that every day, whatever it is. Bring nice. it. You know, we all have it. I'm glad that you've found something that brings you so much joy. I'll tell you, I think you're stark raving mad. <laughs> you're, not, you're not the first. <laughs> I mean, I get it, but you take it to extreme. But what I love is that you're not out there, like, really pushing or taking risks to do it. I think this is just natural for you. This is just what you're comfortable with. And you've found a way to live that, that way. So it's pretty cool. I, I, you know, I used to joke that um, I'm looking for a second disease to get so I can enjoy, you know, the other times when I'm not on the bike. But Don't even joke. You I do have, have a second disease. It's bikeaholic. <laughs> There's a 12-step program. The first step is admitting you have a problem. I'm not ready to admit it yet. <laughs> nice. And so people um, can go to longhaulpaul.com. Yep. Are you still doing your blog? Yep, so the blog. I mean, I try to do... Um, yeah updated as, as often as I can. I do a lot of posts on Facebook and stuff, too. Um, it's under Paul Pelland, I think. If you just Google yeah. that, you'll find it. But um, I tend to post more there because it's a lot easier, obviously. Um, I'm still writing for Ability Magazine. I've been writing for them now for two and a half years or three years. Uh, that, that does well. I've done some some um, pieces for um, the Iron Butt Magazine. And, um, I'm looking for other avenues. I'm, I'm trying to do more keynote speaking. I've done a couple of big presentations mm-hmm. and um, just for general audiences and I think I think some of the stories I have about just overcoming challenges in my life uh, even before MS uh, mm-hmm. the things I've gone through um, and, and it's funny because motorcycling was always there to fix it but but the the, the story is is, um, is universal it can be for any audience and it could be a school it could be a college it could be so I'm trying to get more opportunities to do that and, cool. um, and hopefully that'll you know also allow me to travel more for the other stuff I'm doing so you one track mind well you are a hardcore biker doing hardcore biker shit and to that I love I love it man and we'll keep following you so thank you for catching up with us I appreciate it awesome it was so good to see you it was great to see you too all right so I I did tell Paul he has to come join us out here Mm -hmm. Um, and for him coming from New Hampshire it's like uh, sure I'll just pop out yeah, just ride out here for a burrito and then go back. Exactly. <laughs> you just have to give, for a true long-distance rider, you just have to give them a reason, a yeah. goal, a prize. Dude, we have a great burrito place out here. Yeah. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get that over there. So um, another cool thing I saw there was these bikes that um, were available for test rides called Janus, J-A-N-U-S. Of course, I had to call them Janus all weekend. <laughs> You're trying to sound pretentious. Janus. Trying to sound not pretentious. Well, you know, Cameron pointed out it's a bad business practice to start a company that all you have to do is scrape off one letter and you have anus. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um, but they're doing some cool stuff with these bikes that, uh, you know, as I, I refer to as hipster candy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that they're really, they are trying to do something good. And they're, it is art. They definitely are mixing some 
some art in the design with affordability, but oh yeah, it's great form. You know, uh, amazing. Yeah, full disclosure. Like I was talking to Phil later about the um, the engines from China, and you know, sometimes you get good ones, sometimes you don't. And even though this company makes engines for major companies, I think like Suzuki or something, I forget. Um, they Phil has seen these engines failing at about five thousand miles because things just wear out so much faster and you run out of room in your valve adjusters. Um, So, and the guys did say that they have seen that, but they've also seen high mileage motors. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a crapshoot. So I have to say, though, when you're buying something in this price range, you have to know that you're not buying a long-distance vehicle. Right. Well, I guess you would almost be exclusively buying it for the form and not so much the reliability or what? Yeah. You're, yeah. I mean, you look really cool. Yeah. You sure. look really you get cool. Your dick sucked. Uh, <laughs> totally. <laughs> Especially if you use a little mustache wax. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Curl okay. the, the tips. Okay. Oh, so in. Okay. Um, but then you have to say, well, what if they actually got a legit motor in there, but now they're looking at a $10,000 bike and that's yeah. a lot harder. So it's a hard business to get into. I think they're doing a good job. And um, compared to some of the other companies I've seen that are making cool little cafes or cool little bobbers, these guys are making something that's kind of steampunk and actually original and a bit unique. They're full bikes, right? They're not actually. They're They're full bikes, and they've got these aluminum tanks that are really cool shapes and designs. Um, Yeah, you know, if you'd only gotten up early enough you could have come with me now hey man no (laughs) (laughs) it was cool though and i i did take um cameron on the test ride with me and uh you know the there was just i think it was just me and cameron and one of the owners of the company taking us okay okay for a ride so i'm like all right i'm just gonna stick with him that's my general rule if 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 somebody's leading you stay with them stick on their ass and if you feel like you are flogging that bike to stick with them hey do it it's their bike yeah and you had to flog it and about 4500 um rpms it would get this weird vibration Hmm. um was it like engine vibration or oh it's just everything Everything, yeah Yeah, small displacement bike vibration but i just kept with them but then cameron would be like way back and we'd have to every now and then like slow down and wait for cameron i'm like what the hell is he doing take it easy on him he's a new guy He's a new guy, but he also, he's like, it started to vibrate weird, and it creeped him out. So oh, he would back oh, off. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right, right, He right. would just back off, where yeah, I'm like, uh, uh, I'm just going to stick with this dude. He, you know, <laughs> if yeah. I break it. But you're talking to a person who, riding that little 125 through Pakistan, and I kept yeah. it pinned past red line as long as I could. Well, in other, in other words, you just didn't give a shit. <laughs> you just went for it. So, and it wasn't until the very end that that Cameron started catching up because he says, turns out if you get it up to 5,500 RPM, it evens out. Okay. Yeah. The harmonic takes over. But you're like ringing this little engine out. But, you know, we were doing, I don't know, like 52 miles an hour, maybe. Okay. It's a bar hopper. Okay. Oh, what kind of, was it yours a cafe racer bar hopper kind of looking bike or a chopper or uh, what was it? 
Yeah, I'll, yeah, you'll look at the pictures. They're, okay. Yeah, they're really cool. Kind of squared tanks. Think steampunk. Yeah. And like almost like a 1910 motorcycle. Sure. Really cool. Anyway, so... Did it have a lantern for a headlamp? Uh, no. <laughs> But it did have some cool components to it. But, cool. Uh, so I interviewed them, and the funny thing is afterwards, um, one of the girls, I, I, she may have been the wife of one of them, she came up to me and she says, that was so funny watching you grill them. I was over in the corner laughing my ass <laughs> off. Because I wasn't there to kiss ass. You know me. Right, you're, yeah, you're being Liza. I was being me. Sure. So anyway, let's hear that interview with the guys from Janice right here. Let's get your names. Who are you guys? I'm Devin Beek, co-founder of Janus Motorcycles. And Richard Worsham. Do you mind scooting in a little bit? Yeah. Richard and also of Janus. Of Janus Motorcycles, yes. Okay, so here's the deal. So I'm out here at Mid-Ohio, and there's so much stuff going on. There's races, there's bikes, there's swap meets, KTM, and I see over in the corner, <laughs> like, what is that thing? There's so I have to explain. So you guys make these bikes that are I as I, I call them hipster candy, and they're cool looking. And now I'm just gonna try and coin a new phrase for you. Is this um, like artisan affordable artisanal? I can't even do this. What is this? <laughs> is this like? Craftsman beer for hipsters? Like, what? what is this? You have me Machine baffled. Machine shop to table. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, our attempt at making a, a motorcycle that has a soul uh, mm-hmm. um, and doing so in an, in an, in an affordable, uh, approachable way. Okay. So basically, so you're ma- so you have these bikes. What is the engine that you're using? The motor we use is a it's made by the Leafon Group. Mm-hmm. Um, they're uh, mainland China uh, engine manufacturer. They were an old OEM for Honda, and they now make uh, more engines, I think, than anyone else in the world for motorcycles. Um, and this this motor is their their uh, so-called EPA spec motor. It's in another model past EPA. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons we chose it was because it's viable. It works. We can actually make it. It can meet California emission standards, which is a big goal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also cho- chose it because we tried it out and it was awesome. <laughs> it's an incredible motor. So, and you guys come from the m- moped world. Correct. That's right. Which, uh, I'll just say it. You're, you're Okay. How, did many motorcyclists wave at you when you're on a moped? No. Well, let me qualify. Well, let's, let's, <laughs> you know let's qualify yeah. moped. What we mean by that is not cheap scooter. Right. We mean yeah. old motorbikes and pedal type, uh, you know, '60s and '70s bikes. So there's a kind of a weird quirkiness that right. is inherent with Janus. We're okay not fitting in. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of like growing up into the moto culture but Mm -hmm. you're still taking with it that kind of hipster moped thing the moped vibe yeah but all right so who's the artist because at first i i I recognize that engine and i got another chinese wannabe knockoff we've seen them there's been a bunch and they come and go and but then i'm looking at it going okay this has got unique styling it's vintage but not vintage wannabe it's mm-hmm. artistic and the tanks are unique so obviously you know the tank is really, it's almost perfection it's really nice one of the questions we get often is is this a replica 
Right. And that's what it's not. It's completely original, and I like to say it's a modern thing. It, it takes advantage of modern. It has disc brakes. It has modern electronics. It has LED lights. You know, as an upgrade package. Mm-hmm. It's not a replica. It's a modern motorcycle that that is willing to take advantage of all the. Of, of all the motorcycles in the past, like uh, and the fact mm-hmm. that we've kind of ignored since like the early '80s beauty in motorcycles, in my opinion, <laughs> except for the Italians. <laughs> yeah, so you're bringing style to the table. So who's designed this and who's making these? Because you're this doesn't look. It, uh, how do I say this? It looks like it is potentially a cheap bike, and then you start looking at it and you go, "But wait a minute, there's." some artistry here I didn't expect so did you guys design this uh, basically from everything on it we designed yeah uh, and then these the tanks are aluminum they're yeah, right. hand formed aluminum that we we make <laughs> so you guys are doing all this yeah you're, so you're master uh, welders so we, we, well, we, I'll give a little you know let yeah. Evan give a little history um, well, I was just to say, we were not the actual fabricators of the bikes. Okay. We do design them. We're out there. We're incorporated in every single aspect of the making the tooling mm-hmm. and just seeing over the well, entire process. So, <clears throat> Devin's background is in, is in a vintage two-stroke expansion chamber exhaust systems. Okay. So, we made those for uh, years, and yep. uh, Devin got really good at forming metal. And right about the time that we started thinking about making a motorcycle that was our own from the ground up. He started uh, passing that off to other people. And that was when mm-hmm. there are a lot of custom builders out there. I don't know how many of them are making any money. Uh, and For you to do it, you're, <laughs> then you're building a $40,000. Right. And so we, yeah. and we wanted to make something that was affordable and that was actually a viable product. Because, I mean, I think there's a lot of daydreaming. I mean, and daydreaming is fantastic. We do it every day. <laughs> but we also try and combine it with actually a viable company. Okay, so for somebody who wants to see what this looks like, your website, JanusMotorcycles.com, that's J-A-N-U-S, um, I like them. Now, I will say in all fairness, I rode the house down today, not terribly comfortable, but to be cool, you have to be a little uncomfortable. <laughs> so it qualifies almost like almost like the, like the new chopper, maybe, you know, and a true custom you're miserable on. I'm not saying I was miserable on your bike, <laughs> but it's not something that you're going to go and go, oh, I'm going to ride cross country. Right. So you're like, right. no, well, I'm not like, for the that. seat's like hanging kind of low, but hey, it feels kind of cool, you know? <laughs> I did. I did. I felt yeah. felt kind of, where's my skinny jeans? Um, all right. And so, yeah, you guys have some really good stuff. All right. So what are you sourcing I'm just going to say, what are you sourcing from China besides the motor? Anything else? You have to bring the cost uh, we, down somehow, We right? bring in uh, probably, I'm trying to think of it. I mean, apart from some probably electronics that are all made in China, mm-hmm. Our, mm-hmm. our DOT lighting is Taiwanese. Um, and then basically everything else. Wheels? Is, uh, wheels are pro wheel out of Seattle. Oh. Or not Seattle, they're out of Washington State. Um, probably some of the components for those wheels are out of Asia. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Our shock absorbers are from Australia. Icon suspension. They're actually here this weekend, um, and they uh, they're basically a vintage racing shock absorbers. I, I, and I'm not saying that it's cheap. What I'm saying is you seem to be finding that real fine line between cheap crap and how to make affordable art. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, because yeah, we know that 
uh, the, the Asian market can make some crap stuff. But there's also some good stuff, and Leafan is a company that's proven itself. So you can find things that work, and it sounds like you guys have done that. How much time did it take you to come to where you are now? We spent three years building a different kind of motorcycle with a different motor. <laughs> um, yeah, it's taken us a while. Oh, the, the, the 50? 50? Yeah. yeah. It's taken us a while to find the motor, and we've, we've, uh, we're able to collaborate with some other companies here in the States that, are, that were very generous in, in uh, kind of... Uh, giving us information about the motor, uh, sharing information with the motor, and uh, um, it's it's a motor that in order to pass EPA, you don't just pass the emissions standards; you have to yeah. pass the duration mileage as well. So it's it, it's it's got it's got its chops <laughs> that that motor, um, right. and, and we've proven it just in terms of like the amount of mileage. Our first prototype has the same motor in it. We've never done anything to it. You know, change the oil. And it sounds as good, if not better, than the day we started it. <laughs> it's true. And you have like the, um, the Halcyon has the, the the plate on the fender, pedestrian like, slicer. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I like the little rack on the rear fender, but then it has a solo seat, yeah. like brown leather. It's cool. You're finding a good blend here. Um, so what? Tell people what the price points are, and then you have the Phoenix, which is straight up skinny cafe racer. Mm-hmm. To me, that has the most uh, moped uh, absolutely genealogy yeah. in it. Oh, oddly enough, the Phoenix was our first idea to have come into go into production with. Really? It turned out to be the the last one we did. Um, our first bike that we built together was basically a custom. Uh, it was called the Paragon. Um, that one, and that one's still proven to be one of the most popular bikes we've ever we've ever built um it's been called the most the, the, the best moped ever made <laughs> but it uh it's it was that phoenix and everyone loved it so we always wanted to do it but somehow we ended up doing the halcyon first and uh hmm. and that phoenix um yeah look it's a it's a it kind of i think it it really channels the cafe racer pretty well <laughs> it does uh, so what tell us what the price points are yeah uh, both bikes start at um currently start at 59.95 with a, a many upgrades available. So did you make that number your goal first and then try to source no. the parts? W- no, we uh, we started off with a quite a bit higher price point. Um, and, that, and then now we're basically p- producing more units mm-hmm. and working on kind of value engineering um, to the point where we can actually make it a, a bike that people can afford. Um, we don't want it to be out of people's uh, reach. And we didn't say, where are these bikes made? Goshen, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> like the heartland. The this heartland. is about as American as you can get, yeah, really. The, uh, the RV industry, sort of head, uh, capital of so the wait, RV industry. Do you ha- even have hipsters? Not in- really. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Chicago about two hours away. <laughs> oh, okay. So, um, so you're getting dealers, people signing up? Uh, we do direct to consumer. Really? Uh, exclusively at the moment. That's not to say that we aren't going to, once we grow big enough and have enough resources to go to a dealer network. And uh, are you able to say approximately how many units you're selling in yeah. a year? Uh, we've, uh, we, it's very limited at this point. Mm-hmm. We've, we've done our first batch of 30, and we're going to do, we're, we're shooting to do our second batch right now. And At that price for, point? At that price point. <laughs> what? Yeah. That, uh, okay. We're a very small operation. <laughs> uh, obviously, you're finding a way to produce something at a value price that's uh that is remarkable um what else do you do you want to say about this bike i mean you've got styling you've got price 
I, I did ride one. Uh, what what do you think? What is the purpose that that you're filling with this bike? It's the idea of having fun on two wheels. Okay. I mean, and and some people like to go. Maybe if you can go 150 miles an hour, but the majority of your riding is going to be done at 45 miles an hour. And the way to have fun doing that is to have a bike that you can red line or you know without without breaking the speed limit and uh, have a fun time. Yeah, we were riding today and got up. Uh, well, the speedometer said one thing. <laughs> the wind in my hair said another. You know, I was wearing a helmet. Um, no, I think we're doing maybe 60. Yep. Um, it started to feel like I was starting to ring it out. But mm-hmm. You'll know. It just basically goes up to a certain point, and no matter how heavy you are, it'll reach that point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it'll yeah, hold yeah. It. yeah I, but I wasn't afraid of breaking it because I know they make good engines, and it's yes. like, yeah. I'm going to flog it a little, see what it can do. Um, and yeah, and it was fun. It's the type of bike you just hop on and just let's let's go for a ride, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And look good too. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I, I hope you guys are finding more sources for getting this out there. Again, I've never seen it. You don't have it available in California yet. That's right. Working on it, and um, I hope you guys are finding more ways to get it out there. How long have you been having these models for sale? These models have been available for about a year now. And have you done a lot of shows like this? A lot, yes. yes. <laughs> and I, I assume you're getting a lot of uh, are you getting a lot of like pokers? Like, what the hell is that thing? Or are you just, are you getting people uh, are like, I love this? I think uh, it's. Motorcycles are one of the most moving objects you can, yeah. you know, imagine. And our bikes, they are pretty genuine. I mean, we're pretty, we, it's all out there. Um, and mm-hmm. I think most of the most people are highly praiseworthy. I mean, there are we do get some, you know, questions about oh, that motor's made in China, you know, and you know, the people right. that that don't like uh, Chinese craftsmanship. But I think over the last year it's been incredible how many people know the motor know how good it is and are just like two thumbs up this is incredible well the biggest difference here I'm seeing is we all know to stay away from Chinesium as we call it because if something goes wrong there's no one to go to Mm -hmm. for it Mm -hmm. sounds like I mean you guys know every inch of this bike I don't even know if that's true anymore of this even if you did have a a cheap version of this motor there are parts available well I'm talking about the whole bike it sounds like you have someone to go to somebody who cares they're not you're not just care about getting it out selling making a sale yeah oh that's completely different than what we are I mean we 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 take care of our customers (laughs) it is it's artisanal yeah. in a way with a great throwback so the Halcyon what era is this like the 20s that you were shooting yeah, we're for looking at like 30s? roughs and uh, yeah. old old triumphs and zeniths and Indians and Harley Davidson stuff like that from the 20s I, that's kind of my passion of those kind of vintage record mm-hmm. breakers um, I love looking when you can take the essence of an era mm-hmm. and make but it something new It's not try- we're not trying to like make it something that looks like the 20s it's just that I think motorcycles reached a sort of uh, pinnacle at that point, mm-hmm. and we've kind of failed to <laughs> reach it since then. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. So, do you have any new models in the works? Yeah, we do. We have some ideas for. Uh, yeah. Besides that crazy side hack thing you got going on? <laughs> yeah, we, we're going to continue to develop the side hack, but uh, more of a scrambler style would be our next model. Yeah. Yeah, put a high pipe on it, smaller tank. 
Nice. Those forks are straight off of Greaves, so that would be great for off-road. <laughs> I can definitely see these bikes with some cross-merchandising. And are you also, I hate to say this, but is there fashion coming with it, too? So it's been with it. Uh, our, we have a full yeah. line of uh, wax can with some other goods. Um, exactly. That's what, to me, it seems like it goes hand-in-hand hand with. Yep. If, when you have a bike like this, there. It's image associated, so you got to have the same kind of thing going with that, right? Certainly, certainly. So you've got clothing and stuff, so somebody can find. Yeah, if you go on there, you go to the shop, clothing. you can go see nice. our. We don't do much clothing. We have T-shirts, but we also have uh, uh, mainly our bags, which are basically uh, our. One, an interesting thing that we haven't talked about is we're in Goshen, Indiana, which is an Amish, heavily Amish uh, populated area. Yeah. And the majority of the bike, including the leather work, is Amish crafted. Yeah, you have the leather saddlebags on it. I, I do like I like the look. <coughs> and you have that, that backpack has uh, back armor available for it. <coughs> Excuse me. Retroreflective uh, piping. Oh, this is cool. Ah, uh, the tool bag? Mm-hmm. Shut up. That's so cool. <laughs> That's is it waxed wax canvas, yeah. Canvas and leather. Okay, now I'm starting to dig all this stuff. Okay, I'm not getting a tote bag. <laughs> no. But I'm glad you're making the ladies tote bag. But all this other stuff, this is very cool. So um, have you been to any like New York show or a big show? We haven't been to any big shows in New York. We've had our own shows in New York and Brooklyn. Um, but we have not done any dealer shows yet. Time to buck up the big bucks <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> and do it because I think you'd be landing a lot of orders mm-hmm. for this stuff. Well, cool. Is there any last thing you'd like to add about the company, the bike, the mission? I, don't know. I think it's just the idea of having a, having fun on two wheels is kind of what we're, yeah. we're trying to make Making capture. something beautiful and of quality and being able to have fun on it is kind of a, a rare combination. I like that. I like that. And uh, I like, too, that even though you're coming from the moped history, you have a fondness for these vintage bikes, and you're really capturing that. And, yeah, have you considered selling just the tanks or just the stuff? got a lot of questions for that. Um, being that we want to, that we're doing, trying to do manufacturing, it's very expensive to do custom things mm-hmm. and, it, and it basically we've done it and it takes us away from doing what we like to do which is try and get more of these bikes out there so uh, right now we don't do much custom work apart from the customization of our models which mm-hmm. is available through the website so customization of the bikes at this point includes deluxe tanks custom pinstriping mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing but yeah, we're, we're not really in, we're not really a custom shop we're we're a manufacturer and in order to really try and chase that goal you have to kind of you have to turn away from a lot of really sometimes interesting opportunities right well stay on track I, I'm very intrigued by what you're doing I'm gonna follow follow you guys because <laughs> like I said I, I was kind of perplexed I'm like I don't know if I like this or not I'm confused <laughs> I, there's elements that are really cool and then it's like but it's a 250 but but there is a there is a need for 250s. The 250 is a pretty <clears throat> critical part of what we're doing. It's not mm-hmm. it's not a compromise. I mean, it's really we set out to find a 250 an air-cooled carbureted 250 and we found one that's incredible. Yeah. So Good. We're well, really cool. Happy. 
Well, thank you very much. I'm glad that I got to meet you all and see these. And well, thanks for the opportunity. Um, definitely stay in touch. I give you my card. I'd love to here in the future if you have a big announcements or yeah. coming to California. Mm-hmm. Well, when we when we get uh, carb certification, we will be broadcasting it loud and clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just apologize. I'm so sorry that California is a pain in the ass. <laughs> But, you know, we're, we're partial. Well, as our engineer says, the uh, homologation rules are there for a reason, and it actually breeds a better motorcycle. Cool. All right. Well, JaniceMotorcycles.com. Check it out. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, we'll see if those bikes can make it to California or not. They still haven't gotten approval here, but... Oh, for emissions, you mean? Uh, yeah. The thing, too, is... This is the hardest state because everyone needs to hop on a freeway. And to bring a bike out here that yeah. doesn't go on the freeway, there's only a couple cities you can use that in, like in San Francisco. Right. You know, everywhere else you need to hop on on the freeway. You think that's maybe like a 25-mile bike? If your radius is 25 miles, you're okay? Maybe less than that? I, I would say it's a 50-mile-per-hour bike comfortably if you're tooting around. Okay. So college student or hipster going to the bars yeah. or to the brewery. But or, definitely urban, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. That's what it's made for. Yeah. Um, but, I, again, I like seeing these small displacement bikes come into the market. They haven't yet proven themselves. But yeah, me I, too. I kind of like seeing it happen. Um, so, of course, I saved the best for last. Hi, Uncle Phil. <laughs> oh, Phil. So, Phil was our host at the AMA Vintage Days, and boy, Phil knows how to do this up. Yeah, it's uh, it's not his first rodeo, clearly. So, I just wanted to say thank you, Phil. He took care of us. Yeah, man. We had the bus. We had the bikes. We had the sleeping bags, the bunks, everything you could need. He took care of us. And then awesome friends i want to say um johnny chrome really cool johnny j mac uh chris smith who i found out is hilarious but you love to hate him i learned that pretty quick (laughs) he's he's that guy you just want to met him briefly yeah i had a good talk with him he he's kind of funny um dustin james elliott yes and cameron who Every time I hear him talk, I have the instinct to slap him upside the head. Not because I don't like him. I just feel like he needs to learn a lesson. I don't know why. It's an instinct. <laughs> I'm not saying he did anything wrong or said uh, anything wrong. There's just something about a 20-something-year-old who speaks with confidence. And you just want to smack him and say, you just don't know. You don't know. I think I think a lot of people get that in general. No. Cameron yeah. was cool. Um, He's a good kid. Yeah, and everyone else who was there. And also, um, want to say hey to, I think, Mark and to Kurt yep. and Amanda. Yep. There's a bunch of people who came out and said hi to us. That was really cool. So, um, I think that we definitely have to go next year. But, you know yeah. what? Let's hear uh, Phil talk. Um, Phil talks about the vintage days and then a little special thing he took me on afterwards after knock you had left which was really oh cool. you got the secret tour huh oh uh, well <laughs> listen and you'll find out so i'm here with the famous phil waters of cleveland meadow phil i wanted to thank you for having us over this weekend for the ama vintage days crazy time um uh like i, I told you that 
You've now one-upped us. Oh, well, the event itself, when you try to explain what AMA Vintage Days is to people, and when you say AMA Vintage Days, it's just like, you expect it to be like a bunch of like one-cylinder 1920... Steam engine motorcycles and old guys in funny caps. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. And this is this event has kind of grown over the years to. It used to be British. It used to be a lot of old bikes, and what kind of happened is, as those guys aged out of the scene, they were replaced by a bunch of guys that had an appreciation for '60s and '70s Japanese stuff. Every stolen and unregistered. <laughs> vehicle is there is basically how I feel (laughs) the words no title are displayed on pie plates on the front of these vehicles headlights like a badge of honor and four year olds on like Bergman scooters ripping down uh, there's and fat guys on CT70s it's Lord of the Flies (laughs) it's complete vehicular corruption all around and nobody has the intention to go out and break shit. Like, that's not what it's there. It's not there to destroy things. It's not there to do that. But it also is like a pay-in to the gods of vintage motorcycle survival. Yeah. yeah. And I love that. I, I love everything about it. Yet we showed up with the most yeah. unique thing there. Yeah, we did. We would... Uh, well, I would say unique. We saw three of them total. I, I mean, well, three being ridden was the Zero. Yes. And... You know, ironically, the, all of the other zeros we saw were also the FX model. They just go like hell. I mean, they're so quick, they're so fast. We took the FX there with the knobby tires and whatnot. We ran into Ed, the dealer from Columbus, who's on an SM, which is a super mo, like the FXS. And he's in the dirt, and you know, the whole place is dirt. The whole place is like grass, gravel, or dirt. So those are your three medias that you can operate on. And just watching him hoot around, like when he wasn't wheeling, he was spinning tires or bunny hopping shit. Like that horrible, poorly designed ramp that we built that basically <laughs> catapulted you into the air at the wrong angle. You you set bait out. Oh, you, there was you bait. You created a jump bait. on the road in front of the campsite. The ro- no, it's not a road. It was the it was the trail. The trail upon or the gravel driveway upon which you would camp. You know, like they were ripping. And everybody's ripping. Like, the three-year-old kids were ripping. They were going as fast as whatever they were on would go. And when a quad would go by, like, with front two wheels in the air, there was no doubt they were fully in it to win it. And the whole thing was just... It's just madness. It's I love the fact that there are essentially no observed rules. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are hundreds of rules. It- but they go completely unchecked. It's a mutually accepted chaos. Yeah. And it's also, you know, we are the opposite. What we did there, the decision that we made to bring among the seven vintage pieces of crap that we brought, to bring the most modern, yes. freshest fruit, like not ready to be plucked from the vine yet, FX, that I've had in my shop for like two weeks. To take that to vintage days and putting it into an ultimately dangerous environment was something that we ultimately, I know, I I think I saw the bike for about five minutes once we got there, <laughs> and then you were just fucking hijacked it. In all fairness, I did declare. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, yeah. I will be using this vehicle all yeah. weekend. Please speak up if yeah. you would like it, uh, if you have yeah. any issues. Right, right. 
I'm going to let you I'm, know, Phil, that the default mode is that I own your toy. <laughs> yeah, whatever your toy you think you own, the default mode is that I own it under the guise of I will be representing this to the world for you. <laughs> and, and frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it's a great trade-off because I've been doing shows for so long that I'm just jaded and bitter enough to not be entertained anymore by somebody walking up going... Yeah, but if it runs out of electricity, you right. can't save it on the side of the road with a gallon of gas. Dude, I'm sick of hearing all that shit. Like, I'm sick of hearing worst case scenarios for something that's honestly, like, more fun than a bag of drunk monkeys. Yeah. Other than you, I felt yeah. I was the most highly qualified By, to yeah. answer questions. And Without that's why any doubt. With, uh, you've got more experience with the product based on the people that you've interviewed, based on your if fucking nothing else, the proximity <laughs> yeah. to Zero's headquarters and your access to them all the time, uh, your relationship with Terry and everybody at Zero gives you a unique insight that all these other people, and now I'm not telling you that the people at Mid-Ohio are hilljacks or that they're ignorant. They're not. These people are collectors. Uh, I made the mistake of walking into one guy's booth and telling him I just bought a TDM850. And he immediately goes, did you get the 92 or the 93? Because the 93 had the different transmission, <laughs> slightly different. There was one tooth more. I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. I didn't ask you a single question. I made a declarative statement. But these guys all have encyclopedic knowledge of motorcycles. Everybody there does. Except for the Zero. The we Zero stymied was, everyone. No, they were, they were like a dog staring at a ceiling fan. The, you'd <laughs> show up and it was quiet. It made no noise whatsoever. It spooked the fuck out of them. Really, the the element about the Zero, one, it's a vintage event, and this thing could not be newer. Two, it makes no sounds whatsoever. And this is a place where the sound of a de-restricted, opened-up, two-stroke 750 triple yes. is like church bells. Mm-hmm. Like They like look at this as being like, seriously, this is a choir of angels... And I'm going to celebrate it four in the morning. Yes, we and did hear that. It's it just never stops. And if you are a person who appreciates the sound of a two-stroke at full rip, by Sunday morning you'll be like, shut that fucking thing off already, because there's no shortage of that happening all around you. And that's blessing. Like that's what this place is for. That's why this place exists. That's why it's like 1,200 fucking acres that nobody wants around a racetrack where the cars and motorcycles are making a lot of noise anyway, so we kind of blend in. When you're riding around in a Zero, you are the Antichrist there. Mm -hmm. You're making no noise. You're traveling impeccably efficiently. You rode that thing around for three days and didn't deplete the battery by like 40%. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, four days of jacking around, doing wheelies, you know, roaming all over this giant plantation of property... And you still had 60% of your battery left. Uh, that's a true, a true statement about how completely practical the vehicle is. And also, you can creep around there. Like, when I'm going up and down the aisles on a two-stroke 125, well, they don't like to be loaded up. They don't like to be done at a pedestrian speed. They like to rip. And when you're on a zero, you can be going literally one quarter of a mile an hour. It was my mobility scooter. It was. And you were like, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. And they were like, where's the Zero? Like, oh, no, I don't want to walk, I want to walk over and see that bike. Where's the Zero? 
Like, and we did. It's in lo- 50 feet away at the porta potty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes, I'm taking the bike. We were joking. We're like, where's, where's Liza? I was like, well, we should have put a tile on the zero or like make the zero have that Tesla thing where you can like hail it and summon it. You like press the button and have the zero just be like, fuck you, Liza. I'm coming back to visit the campsite. Uh, because it really did. Uh, the zero thing, it's very very weird to be into something at this stage of the game where it's still completely new to like 94% of the 1% of the people that do motorcycles you know the rest of the planet out there you look at the whole planet 1% understand and get motorcycles well like 6% of those people even know what a fucking zero is you know that's the most common question is like what the fuck is that not where is it made how fast does it go what's the charge time no they're just curious as to like uh, is that electric well oh, yes yeah. as opposed to being I don't know wind powered uh, I mean if it's moving forward under its own power and you don't see me pedaling it I would have to think that you might assume it was electric if it was silent and if you think about it I think that, that was a better display of the electric rather than say if they had the electric bikes on the, on the track or something uh, yeah, this was yeah. being practically used yeah. and it was perfect for that environment it really it was I did not expect it to be as good as it was for crawling around being sneaky and it was it was fantastically good at crawling around the environment and just like scoping shit out and then, oh, look, we're going to go to town. Let's go rip. And we ripped and we ripped into town like a bunch of idiots. And, you know, we had cocktails. We had food. We turned around. We ripped back out of town again like a bunch of idiots. And everybody stopped at the gas station except Liza. Because <laughs> she's like, fuck it, I don't need anything there. there. You have nothing I need. And she just kept rolling on. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a weird thing. Uh, I, I think it's cool that, you know, last year there were like none of them. And this year, there were three or four of them. They were giving one away uh, as part of the AMA Vintage Days. You could enter to win one. But yeah, it was really cool. Uh, the event itself, uh, it's really been a fun time having uh, Liza and Knock out here from Santa Cruz understanding the parallax view of they're doing a podcast. They're looking at their world through the Santa Cruz lens. We're looking at our world through the Cleveland lens. But we're all still into motorcycles. And in particular, we're into not your lowest common denominator, not your Harley Davidson, you know, bagger type Harley. We, we bikes. said none of us could think of a bike that yeah. you would be embarrassed to have. There. Yeah, that was a great question. That's a great question. <laughs> what bike would you be embarrassed every, to arrive at AMA Vintage Days on? Barbie scooters oh were God. there. I mean, everything was there. Not only were Barbie scooters there. there they were cool as fuck because they were <laughs> yes. like they were competing in events, and uh, like you look at a bike and you go, okay, that thing is Elton John's fanny pack, <laughs> and then you see some like four hundred twenty pound guy riding it, ripping it around the campsite, going, oh my god, that bike should never have had to work that hard in its entire life, and it's doing it, and it's winning, and it's being a thing that runs and it's beautiful that way I'm just hoping by next year that somebody you or one of the guys has bitten the bullet and bought that FX so we can actually enter it in some events and rip on it because I the other reason I took there's no reason wait wait okay hold on let me replay that statement to you yes you're saying that rather than rather than destroy the bike that I already own 
you want me to own it with a title so you can destroy it that way. Well, it's the same situation. No, no, no. That's why I. <laughs> what kinda... Zero has to do is come up with a demo flogging bike to let us have, so well, that yeah. de- that after we destroy it, they can reverse engineer it and find out why it took us longer to destroy it than it should have, or vice versa. That was one of yeah. the other reasons yeah. that I took it because I looked at everyone and said, "I don't trust any of you sons of a bitches." <laughs> I, I I am a mature woman, like my own and I bird. will care exactly. I, <laughs> I will, will care for it. I will love it, and, and I, I thought I did a good job. All in FX, but yeah, one of my favorite experiences is. Um, like late at night, yeah. I would just hop on and I just yeah. start cruising it's around, silent, silent. Yeah. and I when I saw another guy on a zero, oh, and man. I just got in behind him and Never just was under- following him, <laughs> and and just like he doesn't know I'm here, yes, and no it became idea. I was just stalking him. And the funny thing is, like you're in that creepy bike stalking the other creepy bike, and like you're like I can sneak up on a sneak. It, it, it was like that line. It's like. Never underestimate my sneakiness, because that's yeah. what it is. It does. It's the great equalizer. Today, when we went to the shop, we had to get up at balls early after a late night to go and demo zeros to a bunch of police officers. Yes, thank you for letting me join you. That was awesome. It was so much fun, and so we decided to jump in on uh, a event that Kevin Hartman was doing, where he's the zero fleet rep. Mm-hmm. And he goes out and visits police departments and other people that might need to have zeros as part of their arsenal of vehicles. And to be respected, uh, they can't just be roaming around on fucking segways or whatever and mopeds. And they've had some alternative vehicles they've used in the past, and they're embarrassed by them. They don't want to be seen on them. They don't want to use them because they're not either effective or they're insulting. And we went out and met nine or ten cops today who just couldn't once we like coax them enough we're like no no you can do it trust me you can jump on this bike you can sit on this bike that guy Jimmy he was the <laughs> first one to get on it like you know he's a motorcycle rider he's got a Volusia he knows bikes a little bit and when we were like dude I brought this out so you could ride it I want you to jump on this bike I'm sorry dude officer <laughs> I'm like officer I want you to ride this bike I want you to jump on it I want you to have some fun with it and he was the first one he was like yes key on ride around parking lot Smile ensues. And then all the other officers wrote it. And what I thought was cool was in most of these training or most of these test environments, demo environments, Kevin brings out a single bike, a single police-equipped DS. And because we had decided to help him, whether or not he wanted us to, we had brought (laughs) two more bikes, right? So we brought the SR and we brought the FX, which is like the pure sport bike, and we brought the dirt bike. So we brought them both out. We rode them over to the uh, other side of town, which was fun. You know, getting a, getting a zero in a pure urban environment in rush hour traffic where we were like, we're zigzag, 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 cut an ass load of traffic on the freeway, abort the freeway, dive off the freeway, dive onto surface streets, zigzag, zigzag, zigzag. Well, zigging and zagging when you're shifting gears 100,000 times is bullshit. Right. Zigging and zagging when you're on an electric bike that's point and squirt is fun as hell. You're like... I'm going faster than the people on the freeway, and I'm doing it among, like, Victorian houses and shit. It's really fun. And there was only one time you almost got taken out. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's. I'm not going to say it was because she couldn't. You know what? It's not because she couldn't hear me. It's because she really can't drive. She's like, I like to turn right from the left lane today. And I just like to occupy this. Like, my whole goal is 
the best place to be is in front of the idiots, not behind them and not next to them. So when I saw the way she was driving, I was like, I must create space between she and I. And I could have gunned it and not. I, I could have gassed my way out of that situation or electroned my way out of that situation easily. Mm-hmm. But I thought it'd be more fun to just scare the shit out of her and maybe teach mm-hmm. her a lesson. She taught me a lesson, though, because she basically didn't even look at me. She kept coming <laughs> over in the lane. The horn. She never touched her brake. And I'm beeping the horn and yelling at her at the same time, which on a zero, the beeping of the horn and the yelling is the exact same decibels. <laughs> so it was really funny that she ignored the shit out of me. The, uh, But yeah, it was fun. Seeing all those cops light up and have fun with it. Even the guys who were reticent, they jumped on it. They had fun with it. Uh, a couple of those guys were like 6'3". And they're like 6'3", and they're built, and they're super macho, like major over-the-top testosterone-loaded cops. And they're like, they're out there and like, yeah, I, I don't necessarily want to ride it, you know, because I... And then the one cop really, he was like, yeah, I ride bikes. What do you mean? Why are you looking at me that way? I'm not gay, you know? <laughs> but I think the secret was, he, he like, he built his fortress up of lies like, I haven't ridden a bike in five years. The one guy who wouldn't get on the bike. He wouldn't get on the and bike. Phil saw what, I was, built a what I was doing. Lies. I kept saying, come on, come on. And Phil's like, dude, she's not going to stop. I told him, like, she won't stop, dude. Just go along with it. Just, you know what, dude? I don't care if you've never ridden a bike before in your life. I don't care if you never said the word bike. Jump on that thing, twist something, and shut her the fuck up. Because this could go on for hours. Uh, she will she will attempt to motivate you to do what she wants because she's used to having it her way. It's for his own good. It's for his own good. It'll save him a lot of time. Uh, we'd still be there talking about it. But yeah, it was fun. They had a blast. They were ripping around. And like the funny thing was, I never thought about the obvious solution for law enforcement, why it makes so much sense. When they went out, because we brought the extra two bikes, they were able to go out three abreast. And they went out, and like their little test ride turned into about an hour fucking test ride. Yeah. They were gone for a long time. So they were obviously having a good time. That's a good sign. And they said that one of the best things they liked about it was the public interacted with them in a positive manner. They were like, dude, I'm sorry, officer, are those electric? And they were getting thumbs up. They were getting like positive affirmation from the citizens because they were seeing their police officers on something that was fucking cool. I got some backstory on this. Yeah. That's because, other than their, their cruisers, yeah. they have a Buddy 50 scooter, which they haven't used it this year because everyone's it. embarrassed of. They have, they haven't they have it. pedal bikes, Yep. which, come on. Yep. And one of them admitted to me that they used to have the Segways, and then Paul Blart came yep. out, and everyone made fun of them, so well, they got rid of them. They don't even have the Segways. They have what's worse than the Segways. They have what's called the T3. And if you know about these things... Is that the non-balancing three-wheeled one? It's a three-wheeler. Yeah. It actually has handlebars that go directly down to a giant chubby tire in the front, and has two giant chubby tires back, and it basically looks like a trash can with a stick coming out of it, and you stand on it. It weighs about 300 pounds. It's low-tech of low-tech. It's like two big deep-cycle batteries. It's no-tech. And they have no suspension, so you hit like a one-inch curb, and they basically toss you off. And they just suck. I mean, it's like... It's it, it's actually... You know, I don't blame them for being a bit indignant when they talk about that kind of stuff that they've been forced to be seen on. <laughs> and uh, they, they they were very happy with this. Like, the, the corporal said it best when he said... You don't understand, this isn't just about doing our job and being able to go places I can't mm-hmm. go with a cruiser and being able to chase down people between like a fence, like through opening an offense. That's not just about this. 
it also is extremely attractive to the citizens. But it's also yeah. great for the morale of the police officers to have something they want to do. A group they want to participate in. They were saying, too, that it's a good show of fuel economy and it would be a representative for the city. When I pulled up the app and showed all the officers on the app that I could not only determine that I was paying less than two cents a mile to operate it, but that I had already saved $385 worth of gas worth of my own money in the short time we've had it, but then also that I had saved 95 pounds of CO2 from being added to the environment. Right. And I said, you know, if you've got a Harley Davidson or you've got a, that Impala over there, which I know idles for fucking 24 hours a day as, you know, it waits for the next officer to get warm the seat up. That's what police officer, that's what police cars do. And if you are the least bit concerned about the environment, a six or eight cylinder car sitting there idling, idling for fucking 24 hours is not good for trees. They said it'd be good publicity. Yeah. For the city to have electric. I'm like, what about catching the bad guys? Ah, that's not what you do with two-wheeled vehicles. Yeah. Catching the bad guys, it, this is more like writing tickets. I hate to admit it, I'm enabling officers from badge-enforced gun-supported taxation. I am, but it does help them do their job better, which is going to make them happier about doing their job. And if they're happier about doing their job, they're less likely to shoot me. So that's good for everybody. Um, I would like to have a world full of happy cops. Because that would be great. So give them all zeros and let them be happy. Well, just in, in wrapping up, I want to say congratulations on becoming a zero dealer. Yeah, I'm really, really the happy about it. first in Cleveland. Yeah, we're the first zero dealer in Cleveland. I, I, I was kind of cool. surprised that we were the first. But we did wait until we felt like the zero product had gotten to the point where they had answered all my questions successfully. Right. And, you know, they... We can't say that Zero didn't try. They demoed these bikes to us at least twice before in the past five or six years. So they're working hard to get the good dealers. I count myself as a good dealer because they continued to approach me. I know they approached other dealers in our area, and I feel really glad that we took them on. Yeah. You know, it's going to give our feather in our cap for having something neat and fun. Plus, you rode a lot today. I rode a lot today. It was way more fun than the other four bikes I rode today. So that's pretty badass, you know? Yeah. Thank you again for having us here. This is awesome. We're already planning next year. Yeah. I think next year we're going to do a booth where we can actually uh, establish a ground zero, Mm -hmm. as it were, right in the middle of the high traffic zone because one of our podcast listeners was nice enough to donate his booth that he's had for years to us, and it happens to be at... Ground Zero of the uh, AMA Vintage Days experience. So we'll be able to have some Zeros in there. We'll be able to have some other bikes in there that we want to show people and uh, have them check out and hopefully give us giant piles of money for because that and always makes the weekend nice. Hopefully have some test rides set up. Yeah. well, Th- I, That was the one thing. I wouldn't let anyone ride it. I could, you know, you can't, couldn't. You can't, really. Uh, but everyone yeah. wants to. But I think that a lot of manufacturers use AMA Vintage Days as an excellent outlet for test rides and demo rides. Uh, you went on some. Mm-hmm. A lot of people go on them. It's one of the highlights of the event because people get really excited about, like, I'm going to go ride the new whatever. And uh, I think that if Zero could swing it, and I do understand Zero has a lot of shit on their plate. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have more events than they have people that can attend them. 
So if they could get a representative or somebody to go out to AMA Vintage Days and if nothing else, like, you know, you know, kiss the truck driver on the cheek, sign the papers, unload the bikes and coordinate that. You know, Dustin did that a few years ago for Kimco. They needed help. They needed mm-hmm. staff. And I told Dustin, I was like, you know, they're, they're paying people to help folks demo ride bikes. And Dustin was like, you're kidding me? I'm like, yeah, no, no. They're actually paying people to be knowledgeable about the bike, talk to people about it, make sure they get off safely on, on the test ride, on the demo ride. And Dustin went out there and did that all weekend. And like he was a Kimco Wrangler, for lack of a better term. The trick with the Zero bike is I've never in my life had any other product that was so reliant upon a test ride. Until you ride it, you really can't grasp it. It's right. it's a foreign concept until you've cracked the throttle. And it's so enthusiastic that we have to actually say, hold on, hold, whoa, 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 put that guy in eco mode so he doesn't loop it. Right. The first time I rode it and it gave me a little bit of fear, I that's a great sign. Like the fact that a person who's been riding motorcycles as long as I have can crack the throttle on something new and safe and environmentally friendly with ABS and all kinds of other crap on it that I don't normally like. And when I can crack the throttle and go, whoa, you know, like this is I better fucking respect this thing a little bit. Um, I've been blown away by the quality, like the workmanship, like the overall fit and finish of the vehicle, the components they use on it. They're Mm -hmm. crazy good. Uh, I know this is a zero love fest. That's what this podcast episode should be called. Zero (laughs) love fest. But it is it's only because we both felt very strongly about it. Cool. Well, yeah. let's uh, we'll, we'll pick this up again next time you're out. Yeah. And, and we'll go ride some bikes. Exactly. Cool. Thanks, Bill. All right. You're welcome, Liza. Thanks for coming out. Sure. Bye-bye. All right, Knox. So in, in wrapping up here, yeah. I mean, are, are you going back next year? I think so. Fuck yeah, I'm going I wish, back next year. I wish, God damn it, I wish fucking flights were cheaper. It could be a thing where, like, I have a, my brothers in Chicago, and I might fly to Chicago. I might fly there, fly to Chicago, rent a bike, and meet you guys over there. It's only a six-hour drive, apparently. But yeah, I'd like to go again. It was cool. I, I learned my lessons, and it's uh, uh, yeah. I probably just I probably wouldn't pack so you wanna, much you gear. Wanna, you want to save those lessons for our other podcast? Oh yeah, you know what? We should. This is a technically a two-parter. Right. Okay. Um, we had so many great interviews and stories that we're putting some of them out on this special episode the AMA Vintage Days but then we're saving some of our other stories to share with the rest of the misfits because I want to lure some of them into the show next year yeah I think we can come full force with the misfits sure that would be badass and then um, Naki you and I were talking about our idea of maybe trying to buy something on Craigslist out there oh, and right. have it there and then flip it by the end of, end of the yeah, show. Yeah, that would be the uh, Mid-Ohio Misfits Challenge, I guess, wouldn't it? I feel confident to say that <laughs> no matter what we bought, we could flip it to Phil or one of his friends pretty easily at the right price. <laughs> they are all bikeaholics, every single one of them. And not sure. only are they bikeaholics, they're bikeaholics with room and property. They have no self-control is what I'm saying. They don't need to. <laughs> Everything's so cheap there. They can afford to have 
the big out garage or the the warehouse or wherever they keep all their toys um unlike us here where just having your own parking spot is a big deal (laughs) so um yeah maybe we should start looking into that maybe our uh, porn picks every week should be focused in cleveland you know it'd be sweet as if uh we bought a bike and we flipped it and uh we get our plane tickets paid off that way (laughs) or dinner or something you know you know how it's probably gonna end up working right no probably gonna lose like 300 bucks oh yeah that's but i'm gonna get home (laughs) but i'm gonna have 400 dollars worth of fun that's for sure exactly well i mean you know flip it for alcohol or something just break make something break even you know so yeah if you want to hear all the rest of the stories also we'll talk about our trip to the ama hall of fame Oh, that was cool. In Pickerington. Um, and I'm sure there's going to be some more stories from Cleveland. And then go over and listen to our other episode. We're dropping them both at the same time. So this is a double banger for you this That's week. Right. So I think we're ready to wrap up. Was there any last bits you wanted to share or call outs or anything? No, I just want to say I had a lot of fun over there. I stepped off the plane filled with alcohol and i stepped back on the plane filled with alcohol it was i was on vacation baby i'm sorry it was good and i had more drinks than i've had all year oh my god (laughs) yes i have to say i like painkillers well you like the sugary stuff couldn't find a painkiller in new orleans to save my life are you kidding me nope nope that doesn't sound right now i had to drink pim's cups down there okay that's not too that's bad. a cucumber thing i don't even know what's it's, in it it's hoity-toity a little bit there's a cucumber in it oh that would explain my why my finger was up the whole time <laughs> the whole time yeah all right so thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that and if you would like to reach us you can do so by sending an email to uh recycled motorcycle garage at gmail.com right and you can also go to our website motorcyclesandmisfits.com you can find the links to our facebook page our youtube page our patreon page it's all there um uh, check out our youtube page mike recently did a get to know with douglas that actually came out really good yeah it's pretty good it made me like douglas all over again yeah it made me realize mike needs a spell checker oh <laughs> what do you what do you spell it? D U G. I don't know. You always misspell shit. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. I think we're ready to wrap up. Yeah. This is Liza. And this has been Doc. And we are out of here. Cuckoo. Cool, cool.